Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. We're another Monday closer to deer season, as always. And uh, we're starting out this episode with a little intro um, for a special reason. Uh, if you've been listening, you know that we're basically moving away from intros now. So from now on, when you listen to an episode, it's going to be just you jump right into our interview with whoever our guest is. And then after that, we'll do an outro uh, to basically talk about stuff that, like, I don't know, we th- we think about what they said or just anything else like that, maybe updates with our hunts or whatever. So we're going to move to that format. So if you don't care about what we have to say, which I wouldn't blame you, you can just skip, or you can really just skip through the rest of the episode. Um, <clears throat> so you don't have to, like, assume, like, oh, man, maybe this intro is, like, 10, 10 minutes, so I'm going to skip ahead 10 minutes, and then you're, like, five minutes in the episode, and you're like, crap, now you got to go back. So, yeah, if you don't like listening to intros, this is great news for you. Um, I am doing an intro right now, though, for a very special reason, and that is because we unfortunately got the news yesterday that on August the 16th, 2019, Mr. Glenn Solomon passed away. Uh, we had Glenn on the episode f- uh, four weeks ago or so, so like that, I think a month ago, um, and he was by far our most popular episode, uh, both in numbers of downloads but also feedback. We had, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of comments and messages about how how Glenn maybe helped some of you guys, how much you like to have like how much you like to listen to what Glenn had to say, how how when you listen to his episode a light bulb went off in your head and you're like, Oh, I could do this or oh that makes a lot of sense. Why didn't I think about that before? So he w- he definitely I know he helped a lot of you guys out. He he helped me and Jacob out because me and Jacob have been talking about his tactics nonstop and incorporated some of his thoughts into our scouting already. Um and you know, and he was a writer for Georgia Outdoor News, and so I know he made a lot of impacts on on hunters' lives all around the Southeast. So it is truly a, a sad day for sportsmen uh, losing somebody like Glenn Solomon. It's rare to find somebody as knowledgeable as he was, and it's even more rare to find someone who's willing to share that information who's that knowledgeable. So we feel really, really lucky that we were able to get him on when we did. Uh, really hate to hear about his passing. You know, I think that. One thing is that we always talk about woodsmen and woodsmanship and being a woodsman on this show, and Glenn, Glenn is pretty much what I think a lot of us can aspire to be like, where Glenn definitely knew what he was talking about. He was extremely good at what he did. He knew how to go out there and find the deer or the turkeys or the bluegill or the hogs or anything that he was hunting, man, anything out there. He could go out there and find it, and and it seemed like he was very in tune with the, with like the intricacies of nature and how it worked. And you know, he didn't come from a science background. This is just a guy who spent a lot of time in the woods and paid attention, which is pretty. I mean, it's pretty hard to do to get to that knowledge level like he did. I mean, he was truly a special guy, and it was very special that he was willing to share that knowledge freely and just try and help other hunters and. You know, I think the hunting community could use more Glenn Solomons. So we want to pray for his family and hope that they they make it through these hard times okay. Um, I know I'm sure myself and a lot of you included probably know what it's like to, to lose a friend or lose a parent 
or lose a grandparent. Uh, I think that Glenn was, was a grandparent. Um, I think a lot of us know what that feels like, and it's never easy. So we just want to give our thoughts and prayers to his family and hope that they're doing okay through this hard time and say that, man, we, we appreciate Glenn Solomon, and I appreciate him taking the time that he did to do this episode. And I know it, it helped thousands of people that listen to this podcast, and I'm I'm very thankful for that. So thank you, Mr. Glenn Solomon, for everything you did for the hunting community, and I hope you rest easy, man. But I hate to start y'all's Monday off with that news, but I felt it would be right to kind of put put a little tribute for Glenn before before anything else that we put out. So we just made the Facebook post kind of honoring him. And, yeah, I I hate to hear the news, but, you know, I'm sure that that he's in a much better place than, than we are right now. So anyways, everybody, hate to start your Monday like that, but I felt it would be right to give Glenn a tribute. So... Anyways, without further ado, we're going to kick it over into this episode with Mr. Chuck Sykes, who is the Director of Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries in Alabama. You're going to hear about um, how the state agency runs public lands, some public lands issues facing us right now, and a whole bunch of other stuff, including hunting sandhill cranes, which is pretty interesting. Uh, And, of course, a new baiting law. But anyways, this episode is chock full of information. I think you guys are going to love it. Let us know what you think, and uh, we'll hit you back next week, man. Thanks for listening. Mr. Chuck Sykes, how are you doing today? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good down here in Montgomery. It's not that humid outside compared to how it has been. So No, a nice a little cool front for July. Yeah, I was out scouting yesterday, and I was glassing some deer at like right at dark, and it felt like bow season. I got my blood pumping a little bit. Yep. <laughs> so. I, can't get, I can't get interested in it yet, but uh, <laughs> about October the 30th, I'll be ready to go about <laughs> the extent of it once it starts cooling off yep and the chestnut oaks start dropping then i'll be ready to roll yeah i hear that you got you got any big plans this fall hunting wise not really not really I, i'm a turkey hunter all my all my big plans take place in the spring i can respect that <laughs> you know everyone's like yeah he's a he says that he likes uh, turkey hunting until deer season but you know i gave it a lot of thought last year and i'm giving it a lot of thought right now i'm like i just Someone told me I could only choose one. I think it'd be turkeys. There's no question. I, I've killed enough deer. If I don't ever kill another one, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Turkeys, that's a different story. <laughs> and all the deer hunters are like, man, you'll shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, uh, my, my bucket list is to kill one in every state. That's Oh, yeah. And this, this job has severely hampered that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm working on it. I'm trying to pick at least one a year. So yeah. I, I, I killed one in Virginia last year. So I added Virginia to the to the list. So I'm picking them off slowly but surely. Hey, yeah, I got to get my first one. Jacob last year, which he hadn't been here last time or this time, but the guy who usually co-hosts this with me, we went to Oklahoma in May trying to get him his first out-of-state bird, and he missed two gobblers in two hours and then never got another chance. Ugh, that hurts. <laughs> Left Oklahoma empty-handed, which really hurt our feelings as Southern guys because everyone's like, those Rios are easy, and they kind of were. But we didn't uh, we didn't seal the deal. Yeah, you got to close the deal. I missed two in Alabama this year for the first time, and I can't tell you how long, and I can't see anymore. My yeah. eyes are. I killed a a little hickory sapling and a vine. So. <laughs> Those don't taste as good as turkeys. No, no. So I got to I got to make some arrangements before next year. Get that red dot sight. That's what I'm going to do. I swore up and down I would never shoot turkeys with a scoped gun, but. Mm-hmm. 
It might be time. Yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> I don't like letting them walk away. Yep. <laughs> At the end of the day, man, you like getting the flop. That's it. But uh, so let's let's hop right into it here. Last time we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. I don't remember what what it all was. I know we talked about public land, baiting hogs, baiting deer, turkeys, all kinds of stuff. This one, we'll start out with public land and probably stay on that for a little bit, and then we'll move on to some other stuff like sandhill crane season uh the new baiting bill and maybe some other things depending on what time allows us to do so uh last time we talked you were really excited about the soa system and getting started with all that uh and now you have a year of it under your belt you have surveys out and everything so why don't you give me a little rundown about first of all what the soa system is just briefly and then how it did this year um special opportunity areas we came up with that probably three years ago, trying to figure out what we could do, not only to offer folks like yourself that's, that hunts our public land a different opportunity, but we wanted to offer something to people like me mm-hmm. who have a piece of private land or they're in a club. They typically don't think about hunting public land. They've heard all the stereotypes, all the misconceptions. There's people running everywhere. It's unsafe. The land's terrible. You're not going to kill anything. So we wanted to try to give them an opportunity to put their toe in the water. Mm -hmm. So we were very fortunate to acquire some smaller acreages, which when I'm saying small, four to seven, 8,000 acres, which is relatively small compared to our typical WMAs. And what we did is we would break those down into manageable hunt units, anywhere from three to 500 acres. And you go online and apply, just like we apply for permits out west in specific units. We didn't create the wheel. We took what they were doing and, and, and made it work here. And if you get selected, you and a partner get to go hunt one of those units. So there's nobody there but you. You don't have to worry about running into another hunter. You hunt it when you want to, how you want to, during the duration of that hunt. And we were hoping that it was going to kind of bridge that gap between private land and hunting club members and our traditional public land hunters. You are a public land hunter. You understand that we've got hundreds of thousands of acres scattered around the state that's excellent mm-hmm. gets very little pressure oh yeah i got to show you a picture of a buck i got the other day when we get done with this so <laughs> it's there but people i think i think it's highly underutilized mm-hmm. so we were trying to develop this program to bridge that gap and we as you said we sent out a survey on june the 18th to 380 hunters that had drawn permits last year it was overwhelming what we got. I think our average open rate on an email that the department sends out is maybe 21%. Mm-hmm. The first day we had a 50% open rate. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but uh, I think right at 200 people actually took the time to fill out the survey out of 380 that's really good. So we had 50% just say actually filled out the survey, and we've all done surveys, and this, yes, no, I did this, I did that, and then there's always that box that says add any additional comments if you want to. 
nobody ever, I don't ever add additional comments because I'm ready to get through the survey. Mm -hmm. We had over 10 pages of additional comments, and I would challenge anybody to find a negative in there. Yep. Even people that said the hunt was terrible, it rained, was an awful time, but I'm still going to apply next year. <laughs> so if it was that awful of a time, they wouldn't be applying again for next year. So mm -hmm. even if you looked at the most negative things, it was still an overwhelming success. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, it rained on my SOA hunt last year. I mean, bottom dropped out, and I was hunting with a muzzleloader, and I missed a doe. <laughs> but it was a great hunt. You know, it happens. We we can't control the weather. We try to do everything that we can to ensure that people that get drawn that first week get the same opportunity as the people that hunt that last week. Mm -hmm. And from the results of that survey, I really think we knocked it out of the park. We We, believe it or not, we took a lot of criticism for it. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing we do goes without criticism. You see it more than I do. You're yep. Facebook savvy and you're out there in social media and listening. I try to stay away from it because all it does is get my blood pressure up. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't blame you. <laughs> but we're, we're constantly criticized that this should be something that's only for Alabama residents. Non-residents shouldn't participate. Mm -hmm. Non-residents help pay for this program just like residents do. When you buy a hunting license, that's that Pittman-Robertson money, that's what we use to buy it working with Forever Wild. So they put a large chunk in it, too. So we were going, It's that's fair. They're yeah. paying in. They should get to utilize it. According to the survey, only 7% were non-residents. That's pretty good. So it works out the way it's supposed to. Non-residents get a chance. Residents get a chance. It all sorted itself out. So we had 7% non-residents hunted it so that was a big yep. thing we're, we're getting people from out of state to come in to hunt yep they're coming here and spending money and they're spending quite a bit more money on their hunting license than us residents do so yeah something to be mindful of too right yep we had one person that had never bought an alabama hunting license before mm -hmm. to hunt the soa was the only time they'd ever bought a hunting license it ain't much but it's something that's yep. one more than we had yeah um, another thing when we were talking about trying to get the non-public land users to buy into the program, 15% of the participants had never hunted public land. That's awesome. And then another 30%, the question was recently hunted public land. Mm -hmm. So you had 45% that either had never set foot on it or hadn't in a long time and i i kind of tested this theory the other night i was asked to give a seminar to the safari club's annual meeting in birmingham mm -hmm. and i'm going over the soa program and i asked all of them to raise their hand as to if they knew about it just about all of them knew about it so that was a good thing yeah because they're typically not your public land hunters yeah then i said have y'all ever hunted public land about 75% of them said they hunted public land. I said, how many of y'all have hunted it in the last 20 years? None. Oh, wow. So that's the, you know, that's that category that we were looking at. When I got done with the seminar, 
had about a half a dozen of them come up to me and say, we've applied. Mm-hmm. We can't believe y'all bought Portland Landing. Yep. The best of the best. And public can utilize it just by going online and filling out a small application to get drawn. Yep. Now, is it Portland Landing? Uh, wasn't that owned by Primos? No, what it was, International Paper owned it, and that was their show place. Gotcha. That's what they used as, as their show place for integrating timber and wildlife management. Gotcha. Mossy Oak had the hunting rights on it for many years, oh, and that's okay. where all the TV shows came through there. It was given International Paper really good publicity for showing that a timber company could also still manage for wildlife. So... Just about anybody that's ever watched outdoor TV in the past 20 years knows about Portland Landing because Mossy mm-hmm. Oak did a lot of filming down there. Yeah. I killed a deer down there back in 04, I think. Mm-hmm. So I knew about Portland, and when it came available for us to buy it, I was like, there ain't no way. <laughs> but uh, we did. We, we put it together, and it's been an overwhelming success. That's awesome. Yeah, that. Last time we talked, we talked a little bit about the negative stigma around public land and how how do you get rid of that? How do you tell people that, hey, it's not bad? And you said it's a generational thing, which I still think is right. You think the SOA system is maybe starting to bridge that gap a little bit? Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Because, you know, even with me, I consider myself a pretty experienced hunter. And I'll just use turkeys, for example. The odds of me driving to Jackson County and going to hunt Skyline, 60,000 acres, me driving three hours from here to hunt it, it's probably slim to none. Mm-hmm. But if I put in for Portland or Uchi, and I know I'm going to be the only one on 1,000 acres, that's a lot more realistic. Yeah. My my time is valuable. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I could just go play for like i used to but now i don't have time i got to make the most of it yeah so i know beyond a shadow of a doubt i'm hunting in great areas nobody's gonna be there but me if the weather screws up it does otherwise it's up to me so i think it's accomplishing accomplishing that goal um we had over 85 percent of those participants rate their hunting experience as either excellent or good yeah, I put excellent. We have never had any program with an 85% success rate of excellent or good. Yep. Um, even the uh, since you hunted Uchi, one of the questions was the current antler restrictions. Are you satisfied with it? Mm-hmm. I liked it. I mean, especially going down the next two years when they really start getting up there. Cause I did see a pretty nice buck who was right on the line. So I tried to shoot the doe next to him instead. Over but, 70% said absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause a place like that, a limited opportunity area should have those kind of restrictions on it. In my opinion, at least. Yes. And over 70% of people like you that hunted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, antler restrictions are a thing. The WMA that I normally hunt, put them on five or six years ago. And we, I mean, we whined and moaned when that happened. And then two years later, we're like, huh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. If we yeah. let that yearling make it to two or that two-year-old make it to three, 
Yeah, I mean, we saw a stark difference. I'll admit it. I mm-hmm. used to like I used to hate antler restrictions, but after two years of two to three years, or now I guess four or whatever it is, I'm definitely a believer. <laughs> uh, people average through our historical surveys of, of WMA hunters, we found that they won't drive more than about fifty miles. Mm-hmm. You got to have a WMA within fifty miles to hunt it. Um, about 85 or 90 percent of these people said they would drive 200 miles to hunt an SOA. Oh, wow. 40 percent of them spent between 100 and 250 dollars, and 30 percent spent between 250 and 500 dollars just on that one hunt. So we're putting money into the economy. It's going into those local communities. Mm-hmm. I just can't find a negative right now. Yeah. But I I was wanting to make sure that we weren't looking through blinders. But the participants, it, it proved it. And, and going through and reading the comments that people put in, one of the big things um, that quite a few people commented on was the amount of no-shows. Mm-hmm. They would get there, and, you know, we only take, like, 10 people at a hunt. Yeah. And some people wouldn't show up, and the people that were there were upset because they saw the time and effort that we put into it with our staff and the management of it. They're like, you need to start charging. Yeah. And if you don't show, you should be banned from the program for X number of years. So I was I was kind of surprised at that. Yeah. That y'all – understood what we were doing and felt like it was if you get drawn you mm-hmm. better show up and go because you're taking somebody else you're taking out of the their mix. spot yeah yeah absolutely yeah i was blown away by uh, by uchi man i really the staff there was incredibly helpful that i think i hunted it two days in the rain and saw 23 deer something like that saw two bucks all the rest of those and uh yeah it was packed full of deer it seemed like the habitat was great nice food plots and uh, I didn't see any turkeys, though, so no one needs to apply that place for turkeys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. there's no turkeys on there. I didn't see a single one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and those properties, honestly, they're probably as in bad a shape as they're ever going to be mm-hmm. because we're just getting started with this program and just getting our management programs going, so they're only going to get better with time. Yeah. Now, with the units, how y'all break it up, because I was looking at my hunt and trying to figure this out. Do you, like, let's say I have unit one or whatever, do you hunt that unit every, like, two weeks or something? Do you stagger it? Or yeah, we there... rotate it. So we we may hunt units one, five, seven, and 12 mm-hmm. this week, and then the next week is two, four, 10, and 14. Yeah. So it may be, it may be a month before your unit gets hunted again. Yeah. So we're, it's low impact, low pressure. Oh, yeah. It's... It's the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And and that's another criticism that we've gotten is, well, you spent all of the hunter's money buying this land, and you're not letting enough people hunt it. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of places that people can go hunt whenever they want to. But we took uh, Hollins. You ever hunted at Hollins? I have. Okay. Hollins is roughly 28,000 acres. We combined Uchi, Portland, and Cedar, which is about 15,000 acres. So it's almost, Hollins is almost double. Mm-hmm. 
and we looked at the participation rate at Hollins during five hunts, the same five days, same five hunts that we had at SOAs. Mm-hmm. There was twice as many people hunted at Hollins as hunted the SOAs, but there's twice as much land. Yeah. So it was basically mirror images. So the same amount of people were hunting the SOA that was hunting a wide open come one, come all hunt on a typical WMA. Yeah. So even with our restrictions, we're still hunting basically the same amount of people. That's impressive. We've done our homework on this. I mean, we took a lot of... We took a lot of criticism up front, and we wanted to make sure that we were doing everything right because it was a new program. Sometimes things flop. Yeah. We understand that. This one didn't. Mm-hmm. We knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I'll definitely be applying again. Now, there's always going to be people that's going to complain, especially if they don't get drawn. Then it's rigged. Then only, <laughs> you know, you got drawn because I did this podcast with you last year, and I made sure that, that you oh, got yeah. drawn. That's what, you know, only my friends and family is. I've heard, you know, it's just a private hunting club for them. They don't hunt it during five days during the rut where all them can go down there and hunt. Look, we've we've heard it all. Yep. We've heard it all. I was, the last year it happened, there was a guy when y'all dropped the results, he's like, man, this is rigged. Because I think last year y'all were a couple hours late posting. And he's like, this is rigged. This, he said everything you just said. Yeah. And then three hours later, he, he, was got like, drawn. he was like, hey, anybody got tips for this SOA? <laughs> yep. Yep, the people that don't get drawn, it's a terrible, flawed program. The people that get drawn, man, it's dead on. It's oh, yeah. spot on. Oh, yeah. After seeing what I saw, I'm man, the future years of that place is going to be great. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to see what it produces because uh, Alabama's got a bad reputation where we're not a necessarily a big buck state, but we still see a lot of good deer killed you know, with proper management. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, so I think the SOAs, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some real tankers coming out of some of those places. Yep. Especially talking to friends of mine, telling me what they saw on some of those SOAs, which I have no reason to doubt them. But, yeah. Well. I <laughs> said they saw some good stuff. This is one complaint that I have. Mm-hmm. And I'll, when you put this out, they're going to beat me up on this. But I fall into this category, too. Typically, most hunters are lazy. Yeah. Okay. When I was your age, I would go get after it. Mm-hmm. Now, I just, I'm lazy. So I'm going to go sit in a shooting house on a food plot about 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest complaints we got, my food plot didn't look good. I didn't see any deer on my food plot. The neighboring, uh, unit they parked where their truck could be seen from my food plot y'all get off the darn food plots and get into (laughs) woods and hunt yeah honestly if if we wouldn't get thrown under the bus i would not plant another food plot on awma where people would get out in the woods and hunt yeah i mean i just mentioned i saw 23 deer on in two days on my uh my soa hunt you know how many i saw on the food plot zero yeah i was still hunting Saw mm-hmm. most of them when I was still hunting. Yep. I mean, they were everywhere, all throughout the woods. There's acorns, you know. Yep. That goes back to what you're saying. Get out, get off the food plot, because if uh, there's some big old fat white oak acorns down in the yep. down in the bottom, they might not be on that food plot. And look, I'm as guilty as anybody. I mean, when we had to show food plot, food plot, food plot, and it is great. Mm-hmm. It's not the only thing. And when the acorns are falling. They're not coming to grass. They're staying in the woods. So if you get out in the woods and 
actually hunt, the success is better. We had some that, you know, and no offense, but this is the truth. They'd get there the first day and they'd put a pop-up tent (laughs) in the edge of the food plot and hunt it from daylight to dark. Yeah. This ain't Illinois. Mm -hmm. This is Alabama. At least if you're going to do that, put it back in the woods and try to brush it up where you're not listening to the chorus of the five-year-old doe snorting at you the whole time. (laughs) So, you know, but I've got my complaints about hunting just like the hunters have complaints about us. It's never going to be a perfect system, but I would encourage people to get out in the woods, walk around, look, find some deer sign and hunt in the woods. Don't just rely on one walking through a food plot. Absolutely. And another thing is y'all uh, open these things up to public comment pretty often, don't you? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if somebody does have a gripe, they've got every opportunity to make that gripe. Uh-huh. And in this survey, there was a bunch on the registration process, would you do this? Mm-hmm. There's a possibility that I got confused on this. So we're always, nothing is set in stone. We're always adapting. So constructive criticism is welcome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just gripes or <laughs> not. I mean, don't say there's a problem without giving me a solution. Mm -hmm. Here's something that may work, and that's what this survey did. People that had an issue with something said, how about looking at this? That's all we can ask for. Mm -hmm. We're willing to change. We want it to be easy. We want it to be fun. We want it to be successful. But don't just gripe about it. Give us some alternatives. Yeah, that's the same thing we do on this podcast. We're always asking people for suggestions and when people talk, we listen. Mm-hmm. So people said they wanted you back on. So now here I sit in Montgomery, well, Alabama. Here it is. I can so, start throwing darts again. <laughs> we got a lot of good feedback. I can't say we had anybody message us like, oh, I hate that guy. We got it. It's was, it was good feedback. They just must not have been listening that, that way. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say the people that did listen were probably the ones that are already on your side. Yeah. Yep. But uh, so moving on about just kind of keeping it on public lands. Um, Last time, we I think we talked about the WMA system a good bit and kind of about how the WMA system works and maybe some of its flaws, some of its really big flaws with that. Um, so can you name some WMAs that are under threat right now? Uh, for I've heard Sam R. Murphy's. Sam Murphy would be the, the next one that would be a possibility of being removed from the from The, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it goes back as private ownership, mm-hmm. I don't blame them. Yeah. I mean, you can lease land for 10 to $20 an acre now, depending on where you are. That's a lot of money. Uh-huh. When you're talking 30,000, 40,000 acres. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't blame them at all. Now, Sam Murphy is leased on what? What What do we have in that lease with the landowner? We provide in-kind services. We don't. We do not lease land. Okay. We provide in-kind services. We have a biologist there. We do road work. We do boundary line work. We manage the property. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a there's no financials back in that property, and that's why it's a flawed system. That's right. Yeah, that's not good. So we've lost um, Boykin. Lost Boykin. Lost Scotch. Lost West Jefferson's an older one. That's yeah, gone. it's been gone. Long uh, time. Butler's been gone. I think Wolf Creek which is up in there around Sam Murphy. So, and again, I don't blame those. I don't blame the families. Yeah. I know Scotch and Boykin was in the system for 50-something years. 
Murphy's probably along those same lines. After generation of generation of generation, things change. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those large uh, land holdings were bought by TMOs and REITs. They've yep. got a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders. Can, can you explain what that is for some people? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's basically a timber investment group. Yeah. And it, me and you and five buddies pool all our money together, and we buy 50,000 acres of land, and we have someone manage it for us. It's just like buying stocks on the stock market, except you're investing in land. Yep. And so many years, they turn it over and sell it, get their money, and decide what they're going to do with it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the big land holdings are, are in those type timber investment groups. And, again, I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. If it was me, I would probably be doing the same thing. So yeah. I mean, they got to make money. Sure. You know. And, and the odds of us being able to go out and, like, Murphy, we can't go pay them $10 an acre yeah. for a lease. Yeah, that'll expire. For, for me as being in charge of investing your money that you paid for in hunting license and all that – I don't think that's why stewardship of that money. Absolutely. I had rather go in and buy places like Portland and Cedar mm -hmm. where we can protect it from now on. No matter what happens, whether I'm sitting here or not, the next person here is still going to be in charge of managing that for public use. It's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To me, that's that's much more financially responsible for the hunter's money. Yeah. Now, another one is Cahaba management area. That one has changed i know it's changed ownership several times in it the last has. couple of years it forever wild actually purchased the recreational lease yeah. on that several years ago it's like a 99 year lease yep. yeah yep but when it sells those people have the ability to buy that lease out on the property that they're so we're losing little bits by degrees here and there yeah yeah, and we we talk about it a lot, and we we try not to say the the names of places that we hunt, just really out of respect for the other places, the other guys that hunt that place. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Cahaba, I spend a lot of time on Cahaba. I'll say it because it's under threat, and I want people to know about it. So I've spent a lot of time on there. I've been hunting it since I was, I mean, like since I could walk. You know, my dad's been bringing me out there, and now these last few years, you know, seeing it go piece by piece, mm -hmm. especially on the Helena side which I grew up in Helena, and now a lot of that is under threat. If I remember right, the land that the Cahaba shooting range sits on is for sale right now. Uh, somebody told me that. I forgot his name, but uh, somebody said that that's for sale, and the landowner does not want the state to buy it because I think they're wanting to develop it or something. Okay, like that, I, that I don't know, but all of that mm -hmm. that's in that recreational lease, it, it could come up for sale at any time yeah and with it being the location that it is outside of helena the development rights on it yeah is pretty high yeah helena's growing it's not the same town it was when i was a kid that's right it's about double the size yeah so. uh what are some other wmas i know coosa has lost the Coosa's tremendous ladle it, it has but we're working to uh put some of it back together oh really um so we're we're trying mm -hmm. um Barber is solid, Lowndes is solid, of, of course, Skyline, Freedom Hills, um, those are solid, and the Deltas and Perdido, Perdido may expand some over the next few years. Yeah. So, 
I think I don't know that we're going to grow any, but I don't know that we're going to lose overall. I think mm-hmm. we're pretty much going to be constant now. Well, that's that's good then because that that's something that with BHA we talk about a lot. We have a a group message where the all the board members can go back and forth about stuff and we're constantly talking about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. in Alabama because one, I mean the system is complicated. It takes a lot to really figure out what's actually going on because yep. When you talk to somebody about it, I, I talked to a guy up in Nashville. I was at a, one of our pint nights up there, uh, and he was like, he was mad at the state because he said that the like 97% of the state's owned by the Forest Service and they're leasing it to people. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> that that ain't right. And uh, people, some people think that the state agency is selling the land, which y'all are not doing. No, we're not at all. So you guys have. Like to put it kind of simply, you guys have the ability to grow it, but you don't really have the ability to sell it off. Or you might, but you're not selling any off. No, we're 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 not liquidating any any assets. We're we're trying to hold what we've got and add as much as we can. So overall, as you said a minute ago, there's no net loss, W Mays. There has been some, but I think we're at a point now. Now, granted, if Cahaba goes, that's going to be a big hole. If Murphy goes, that's going to be a big hole. As long as we can keep those stable, I think with the the smaller portions like Portland and Cedar and Uchi, they mm-hmm. we're adding, we're we're balancing out right now. Yeah. So I and look, you tell me this is this is your job. Do you think there's an access problem in Alabama? Do you think there's not enough places for people that want to go hunting to go? I don't necessarily think so. I I don't think so either. Now, in a bunch of states, yeah, I think access is is really limiting, and I have mm-hmm. to deal with this now. Um, I've been I've been in my position now six and a half years, and I'm one of the old guys now. Mm-hmm. I was in a meeting in February with 41 of my counterparts from around the country, and I was the fifth longest tenure there. Wow. The average lifespan for my job is 2.3 years. And you've been here for six? Six and a half. So there's a lot of new blood coming in. I'm on a bunch of national boards now just because I've made it through the gauntlet and nobody else is there now. Yeah. And that's one of the big issues nationwide is access. I just don't think that's something that in Alabama, I do not think lack of access is a limiting issue. Mm -hmm. I think lack of people wanting to go is more of a limiting factor than having a place to go. And I think uh, adding on to that, the the negative connotation on public land, yep. because I used to work at Field and Stream in Hoover and it's in their bow shop. And I talked to all kinds of people who were in there wanting to get a bow, but they were like, I don't have anywhere to hunt. I don't have money for a lease. Yeah. Not knowing they had 30,000 acres of public land 20 minutes from them. Yeah. And then, you know, you go over to Mulberry and I don't even know how many acres that is, but. Uh, that's just an example there there's definitely places all over alabama where there's not many places in alabama where you're more than like gosh an hour and a half from some public land yeah it just takes a little bit of digging to figure out where it is which you guys have a great resource for that on the outdoor alabama website with the interactive map so if you don't want to pay for onyx maps you can go on there and you can see the boundaries and everything all those wms that's right and I saw something the other day. I actually flipped through Facebook, and I, it was on 
we have a forum for our new hunters that go through our mentored hunt program mm-hmm. where they can talk with each other. And I just scrolled through there, and one of them had joined a club. All right, we were doing what we were supposed to do. We created a hunter, and now they're in a hunting club. Yeah. This was 3,000 acres. I'm not going to say where it, where it was. How many members do you think they were looking for on 3,000 acres? 40. 28. 28 members. The membership, it may have been 24. Anyway, is a bunch. 24. Yeah. That membership included you, your spouse, your kids, and up to three guests a year. That's a lot of folks. Any weekend, there could be 100 people hunting 3,000 acres. Mm -hmm. But yet, at Hollins, when we had 28,000 acres, I think the most we had on a hunt was 160 people. Yeah. Which looks crazy when you roll up to the check station 10 minutes late and there's 50 people. You're like, dear God, what am I getting into? But you get out but, there, it's not that yeah. bad. No, I mean. And you want to talk about bow season. Yeah. There's nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. I got my own 20,000 acre club. That's right. <laughs> so I don't, I'm glad to um, hear you say that you don't think as a backcountry public land guy that mm-hmm. you don't think access is the limiting factor in Alabama because I've we've been talking internally and we don't think it is either it's mm-hmm. the stigma that the public land that's there yeah isn't worth going to mm-hmm. so I'm hoping the SOA and our mentored hunts getting these people that were coming to buy a bow that wanted to learn how to hunt didn't know where to go. We're helping them and showing them that public land can be a viable alternative. Yeah. And I mean, it really could go back to like just lighting someone's fire again, too. Because if you've been busting it on private or public land for a month and you haven't seen a deer, and then you get an SOA hunt, you go out there and you see five deer, even. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that'll light your fire again. That'll yep. get you fired up. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of public in Alabama scattered throughout the state. Our bigger concern has always been, like, holding on to what we have. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you go look at the numbers of what we've lost in the last, like, 20 years or so, like, it's pretty alarming. Um, but I'm definitely glad to hear that that y'all don't think there's going to be any kind of net loss. Um, I hope not. And we're doing everything we can to, mm-hmm. to prevent that. We're trying to be as proactive as we can. So when it comes to new public land, Forever Wild is pretty much – our number one that's that's how we're that's how we're acquiring and or holding on to older public lands right that is a big portion of it um the way we work wildlife and freshwater fisheries if somebody sends me a package of land we've got this land for sale it's a thousand acres and it joins cedar creek down there and want you to add this thousand to it for us to buy it We've got to spend $25 of state money, and then we can get $75 of federal PR dollars. Yeah. All right. Well, we're fed rich and state poor right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money going into the PR account, with, but a lot of it is shooters, not hunters. They're yeah. buying guns. They're going to the range and plinking, but they're not buying a hunting license. Mm-hmm. So we can't access that money. Yeah. So to buy that, we would have to expend our 
state hunting license dollars, which we need that for other stuff. Like enforcement officers. Yes, mm-hmm. that can't be paid out of the federal money or yeah. a bunch of our programs. So what we did is I went to the Fairville Wild Board about five years ago and offered them a leveraging opportunity. Y'all's, their mission is to acquire good public land, be it for state parks, nature preserves, or hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, if I go to them and say, on this 1,000 acres, we'll pay for 75% of it if y'all pay for 25% of it. Mm-hmm. That furthers my our mission, Wildlife and Freshwater Fisheries, and it furthers forever wild. Mm-hmm. So we're killing several birds with one stone right there. Yeah. So a lot of the acquisitions like Portland and Cedar Creek, they were they were bought and all of Atalga, the Atalga WMA. Yep. That was bought with a partnership with Forever Wild. So for every dollar that they put in, we could put in three. So I could go to the board and say, We've got the opportunity to buy ten million dollars worth of land over the next couple of years. Y'all come up with two and a half million, we're gonna put in seven and a half million. So that's where we've been able to add all of Atalga back to beyond where it was back in its heyday. Yeah. Put in Cedar, put in Portland and some other places. So Forever Wild has been instrumental in us trying to slow down that loss of public land. They were doing it anyway. We were doing it anyway. But we weren't working together and making that dollar go a lot further. Yeah. So we have really, we've really been making hay over the past couple of years. Kicked it up a notch. Yeah. So what's the future of Forever Wild looking like as far as land purchases go, which we can maybe get into a little bit of the quote-unquote politics about it in a second. But uh, as far as land purchases go, are you guys looking to add more SOAs? Are you adding more just regular properties that are kind of wide open? That's one thing about the program and about us. We don't go out looking for property. Mm-hmm. People nominate it. People bring it to us. If it fits, you know, there may be an out parcel at Coosa that fits in just right that we want to get. Or yeah. there, you know, just whatever. So, yeah, there's some going into the regular WMAs. There's some going into state parks. There's some going into nature preserves. And then, yeah, we're looking to add some more to the SOAs. Mm-hmm. So it's it just depends. It, each property is scored and evaluated individually to see how it fits into what we need and what they need. So, yeah, there is still plans to expand the SOA program as well as fill in some gaps, some landlocked portions, or get better road access to get into a bigger block on, on a WMA. So that mm-hmm. that's always the goal. So – one more thing about Forever Wild, and then I want to jump to one last thing. Um, on, on, with Forever Wild, the public opinion of Forever Wild has been through the roof positive mm-hmm. for years now. Yep. Do you do you see that continuing? Okay, I'm gonna try not to get in trouble on this. <laughs> yes, the public opinion of it is huge on the SOA survey. We asked that question, would you like for us to partner with Forever Wild to purchase more land? One person said no. <laughs> one. And you've always, there's one in every crowd. So 
I would like that, to talk to that guy. That proved like. it. You know, <laughs> one person out of everybody said no. Yeah. So, yeah, the public is 100% supportive of it. Last time it passed, it passed with 75% yeah. approval. Or, or it may have been 78, but, yes, it was extremely yeah. high. Yeah. So, yes, the public, the general public appreciates the program. The, there are, that, however, some who don't. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. <laughs> And it's come under attack several years in the legislature. Mm-hmm. No reason for me to believe it won't continue to fall under attack. That's something that we've also talked about uh, internally with BHA is is what's what's on the horizon for Forever Wild because there are people out there who hate it, hate it, hate it. And <clears throat> I, I mean, I probably shouldn't say who the place is, but. Yeah, I mean they're they're vehemently against any kind of public land. Yes, there there are a lot of people who believe the government should not own land. That's mm-hmm. just their fundamental belief. Yeah. Private ownership's ninety-seven percent of the state of Alabama. Mm-hmm. So anytime somebody comes, you know, you own too much land in X county, and I can pull up my spreadsheet and say, hmm. We own 1.3% of that county. <laughs> I don't think we own too much of it. Yeah, absolutely not. I don't think so either, um, especially when when I got out of hunting clubs. I think the last club that we were in as a family was like 1200 bucks a year. Mm-hmm. I'd rather spend that money on an elk tag and go out west and hunt public land here and there. Yes. You know, that's just just my idea. But uh, with, uh, with those – fights going forward why do those people hate forever wild i mean besides i know that they hate um like they hate the idea of the government owning land they want that money to yeah. go somewhere else yeah i mean that that's it and look i i don't agree with them mm-hmm. i think we're doing what the public wants done and think we're doing a good job the forever wild board as well as what we're doing but when it comes to paying for medicare or prisons, there are some people that think that's more important than me having you a place to go deer hunt. Yeah. And they're looking at that money going in forever while that we could spend it on prisons yeah. or we could spend it on Medicare or Medicaid or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just their their ideas and their beliefs aren't what ours are. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a continual struggle. Mm-hmm. Well, so kind of moving off that, this is kind of a just a random question about public land and like programs that you guys do. Have has the state of Alabama ever considered doing some kind of walk-in access program similar to Kansas or block access in Montana? We've looked at it. Um, again, it's hard for me to justify spending your money mm-hmm. on a one-year lease. Yeah. So. I'm not sure how Kansas does it, but I think they might offer tax breaks or, some, or something mm-hmm. like that. Is that an option to, to uh, instead of leasing the land, like maybe give somebody some kind of tax break or well, something along those see, lines? That, th- then you involve the legislature. Uh, okay, gotcha. That's just like we get criticized all the time. My, my license is too expensive. Well, talk to the legislature. We don't set the prices. Mm-hmm. They do, just like the Baton bill that passed this year. We didn't do it. 
they did it. Yep. We didn't set the price. They did. Mm-hmm. So anytime you start talking about tax incentives or things like that, you bring the legislature in. And that'd be a hard sell. <laughs> it would be a hard sell. A very yeah. hard sell. Yep. And again, it goes back to I don't know that access to good property is the limiting factor here. Mm-hmm. If I did, then we would look at something like that. But mm-hmm. again, I'm I'm meeting with my counterparts from all over the country, so I know Nebraska's got a real robust walk in program. Oh yeah. We we went out there and, and hunted quail this year on some of their walk in stuff. So I, I get it. I just Right now, I can't justify spending your money on a one-year lease and us going in and making improvements and getting it right, and then the next year, I said, no, nah, we don't want to do it. We can get it for we – we can lease it to him for 20 bucks an acre. Yeah. I just don't think that's wise use of your money. Yeah, understandable, definitely. Um, now, I know that we're kind of probably getting pretty close to time here, uh, so we'll kind of move away from the public land stuff a little bit. Um, Sandhill Cranes. Mm-hmm. You got people pretty fired up with uh, the email y'all sent out. Yep. Because that that kind of came out of the blue. Because uh, I did, I wasn't expecting that. Because uh, I don't know. You just never hear about Sandhill Cranes that much. But so most people who are subscribed to the email list got an email that said Sandhill Crane season coming soon. Yep. So uh, what's the deal behind that? Again, we didn't create the wheel here. Tennessee's already got a season. I think Kentucky's already got a season. This is one of the biggest hunter success stories out there. Mm-hmm. They were on the brink of being gone. And through PR dollars going into wildlife management, we can now have a sandhill crane season. Limited. But why should you have to go to Texas or out west to go sandhill crane hunting? When over the past five years, we've averaged about 15,000 wintering here. Yeah. If we kill 1,200, it's not going to destroy the population, which is all that we're um, given permits for this year on this experimental, this first pilot season. So 1,500 permits. 1,200. 1,200, my bad. We're 400 permits, and it's going to be like the SOA. You go in, fill out an application. You've got to take a test for bird identification and all that kind of stuff. And each permit holder gets three tags. Mm-hmm. So at the most, 1,200 birds will be taken this year. Yeah. Out of the 15,000 that are wintering here. And again, if it wasn't for hunters paying into this and managing the species, bird watchers wouldn't have them to look at. Yep. That's true. Absolutely. So, yeah, and anything new, I, we went through the same thing with alligators. Yeah. You know, they were threatened, gone, out of here, never going to be an alligator. Through proper management, now we've got alligators. So when we started the limited alligator season, we got thrown under the bus on that too. And now that's one of the most popular things that we do is alligator hunt. Mm-hmm. No, no different than this. So we, we're going to have 50 days this year. We did uh, reach a compromise with some groups where we're not going to hunt around the crane festival. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have a week closure where the bird watchers can enjoy the cranes. 
they can thank a hunter that paid for all of that <laughs> where they can look at the cranes and then we'll finish the season. So yeah. I think it closes, comes in. You probably know it better than I do. I think December the 3rd goes out the end of January, and then we're going to have a 10-day closure from the 6th through the 15th of January. Okay. So it's basically going to be like a split season. And so there's a, there's, I'm assuming there's going to be zones with that, like kind of units, uh, North Alabama possibly? Mm-hmm. You need to get your – you should have got your hunting and fishing digest at the uh, <laughs> deer show last weekend. I know. I forgot to grab one. I was pretty sour about it, actually. And there it is, and there's the ah, zone. So, yes, it's okay. all – So, north of Birmingham, Yeah, north of Birmingham. That's that's where the majority of the of the birds winter, so that's, that's where the hunt's going to take place. That's exciting. I've heard they're delicious. I have too. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to put in for the draw. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> what are you going to do when you draw a tag and people are like, well, there it is. It's rigged. I'm a hunter just like you are. Mm-hmm. And I put in just these SOA hunts, alligator hunts. I put in for them just like y'all do. I pay my money. I buy my license. What difference does it make? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we were laughing last year about how you didn't get drawn for an SOA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, nah, nothing. So it ain't rigged. <laughs> the director himself can't draw a tag. Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. Honestly, I apply for everything we do just where I can monitor the system, mm-hmm. just to make sure it works. Yeah. If I get drawn, I'm going to go hunt. Yeah. People don't like me anyway. What difference is that going to make? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but seriously, I, I'm a hunter just like you are. I went through the same process you did. That's why they call it a random draw. Crap happens. Mm-hmm. Some's gonna get drawn and some didn't. And if I get drawn, I'm gonna go hunt. Now that reminds me of something I forgot to ask you earlier with the SOAs. Do you think Alabama will ever move to some kind of point system uh, for WMA or SOAs? <sighs> Possibly. We're doing it with alligator hunt. Right now, um, we hadn't seen a need to do it because I wish more people would apply. I think we had 3,600 or so different applicants last year. Really? Well, no wonder I got a tag. So That ain't bad. Roughly 10% of everybody that applied got a tag. That's pretty good. That ain't bad. Yeah, if you're looking at a tag in Montana and it's 10% draw, you're like, hey, I might get this. I talked to one of my counterparts the other day, and he said it's an average of, it was either 30 or 32 years for a resident to draw a deer tag. Really? So in my lifetime, I would draw one deer tag to hunt in my own state. Yeah. We got it bad. I mean, that poor old Alabama hunters, we'd just abuse them. (laughs) Yeah. <clears throat> we got it good. And on SOAs, roughly 10% drew. Yeah. That's pretty good. It's impressive. That's have you Now, have you guys seen any issues with uh, the point system with alligators with point creep? Not yet. Everything's working the way it's spoke. Depends on who you ask. No, uh, with our system, yeah. no. It, it's working. Mm-hmm. It's okay. working. So kind of, I know I just jumped way back to that, but now moving forward. With the uh, with the baiting bill that mm-hmm. we just that we just got for Alabama, so now you can hunt uh, hogs and deer over bait. 
And I remember talking to you about it, and you weren't exactly crazy about baiting, but there might be a silver lining. To... Oh, there was a huge silver lining. So why why don't we jump into that a little bit? How if even if you don't like baiting, you don't like the idea of baiting, there are some pretty big positives that are coming out of this. Yeah, and as with most things, we get thrown under the bus. It's all about the money. Mm-hmm. Department of Conservation supported the bill because of the money. No. The money has been on the bill for the past three years, and we've opposed it every year. But I met with the sponsors. They were very agreeable with meeting with me and the commissioner to add some language to the bill that we thought would help our department, and it didn't have anything to do with money. Mm -hmm. Um, The first was we wanted to be able to suspend the baiting privilege in the event of a disease outbreak. Which right. is very scary at this yep. point. We've got CWD knocking on the door in Mississippi and Tennessee. Especially in Tennessee. That's, Good Lord. That's a real issue that we're facing. Mm-hmm. So they said, yep, that's fine. Well, it's legal to feed deer 365 days a year as long as you don't hunt over them. We, we both agree on that. Mm-hmm. I, I can feed deer all year, and as long as I don't shoot one eating it, it's perfectly legal. Mm-hmm. All right, so if we had CWD come in and we wanted to ban feeding, just like every other state has done in that CWD management zone, could we do it? They say, yeah. Up until this bill, in my opinion, no, because it really? was legal to feed, okay. period. Okay. So it would take an act of the legislature. We would try. We would have tried it. Yeah. But I think there would have been people that called us out on it. Mm-hmm. So when we met with the sponsors this year, we said, look, we got to suspend the baiting privilege if in the event of a disease. But more importantly, we need the ability to manage feeding yeah. in the event of a disease. And they said yes. So, okay. So the bill passed giving us the authority in the event of a disease, we can manage not only baiting, but we can manage feeding. For me, that was it. We're in better shape today as a department than we were before that, before the bill passed, Mm -hmm. just because of that. And that's a very, (laughs) very important point, because if if somebody's not familiar with what's been going on in Tennessee, Tennessee, it's like they opened the floodgates this year. I mean, I really don't want to screw up this number, but I feel like it was over 150 CWD positive deer found in the southern counties of Tennessee. That's not good. In about a three-month period. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that never happens. So no. clearly it's been there for a long time. Or, or it was brought there in high concentrations. That's also, yeah. <clears throat> Regardless. Regardless. There are several counties in Tennessee that are in trouble. Mm-hmm. So we are, we've got our surveillance and response plan. We're ready. We're doing everything we're supposed to do to try to prevent it from getting here, especially by artificial means. Yeah. You're never going to stop a deer from walking in. Yeah. But the odds of a deer walking 50 miles is pretty slim. Mm-hmm. But somebody killing it and bringing it 50 miles in the back of a truck, that's completely doable. Yeah. So we're doing everything we can to prevent artificially bringing CWD over here. If and when it does get here, 
we'll be ready to act. And this, in my opinion, gave us better authority to manage that than before the bill passed. And you guys are monitoring it the best you can, especially in North Alabama, because I remember last year seeing uh, you guys advertising several check-in stations. Oh, yeah. We had voluntary check stations. We had freezers at all of our offices up there. We're working with volunteer fire departments, bunch of different entities where we're going to have freezer locations in just about every county this year. Okay. Where hunters can help us. Um, I gave 40-something seminars. We met with uh, Al Dot and was working with all of their engineers. They were letting us know where roadkill deer were, where we could go get samples. I think we've taken almost 1,500 samples just this year. Oh, wow. So we're doing everything we can to try to educate people and try to stay on top of it. But there's still those that think it's a hoax. We're never going to change their mind. Yeah. Till it bites them. Yeah. Even if you think it's a hoax, if it's discovered here, it's still going to be a thorn in your side. Sure. Because, you know, there's going to be extra regulation. So, I mean, that would encourage people, hopefully, to, to check their deer, even if they think it's a crock of crap. This is definitely one of those cases where an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't want it here because once it's here, it's here forever. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think that we're any closer to finding a real solution to it. No. There's millions of dollars being spent on it. The last time I was in Washington, D.C. for a meeting, I met with Senator Jones's staff. He was one of the sponsors for a, a CWD uh, bill. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of federal money that's going to the research and monitoring right now. It, it's a serious, serious deal all across the the country it's not just in alabama so we're we're doing everything we can to keep it out of here but mm-hmm. if it does come we'll be ready to, to act accordingly yeah so um i got two more things i want to ask you about real quick and we can kind of be pretty brief on these one of them coming from left field so turkey season goes into may now mm-hmm. so uh what, what's uh what's y'all's thoughts on that what's the uh, idea behind that it was just simply common sense. Mm-hmm. We took when the board voted to make it come in consistently on the third Saturday of March every year. We knew that some years you were going to lose about a week. Yeah. So it's not going to hurt to add a little bit at the tail end. So mm-hmm. we just carried it through the first weekend of May. That no more, no less. It was trying to give turkey hunters the same or as close to the same number of days. And all the research is showing that potentially the damage to the turkeys are coming early in the season, not late in the season. So we didn't mm-hmm. think it scientifically it wasn't going to hurt anything to carry it into May. So uh, is that going to be something that is consistent year to year? Yeah. Awesome. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now, the turkey research y'all have been doing, I've heard a lot about it. Uh, is that It's concluding this year, isn't it? Yep. Yep, September, I think, ends the, the data collection process, and then they'll start crunching all the numbers. So hopefully by the advisory board meeting next February, we'll be ready to announce some of the findings and make some recommendations based off of this project. That's exciting. How long has that study been going on? Five years. Five years. Yeah. Wow, okay. 
I know that people will be glad to get that over with and figure out what's going on. Some will, some won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's polar opposite. Some think we're in bad trouble, and some say, no, leave it alone. We're good. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to be upset. Yeah, you can't make everybody happy. No, sir. Now, the last thing, and this could go down a big rabbit hole, um, but we probably don't want it to. But I just want to get like your your thoughts, ex explanation for what's going on with the new dog hunting regulations. I don't know much about it. I know a lot of dog hunters who've been talking about it quite a bit. Some encroachment rule. Mm -hmm. Can you walk me through that? Uh, and Really, I don't know what it is, so if you could explain it okay, to me. Okay, this is it in a nutshell. If your dog goes on my property and I catch it and I call the game warden, he's going to give you a warning. Okay. Don't let your dog get back on his property again or I'm going to give you a ticket the next time mm -hmm. because that's trespassing. So if I catch your dog three weeks later, the game warden's going to give you a ticket. Okay. That's it. So that, that's the new regulation coming in. That's the new regulation that we hope legislative review lets go through. In our opinion, it's a way to punish the bad dog hunters and promote positive dog hunting. We're not against dog hunting. Most hunters are not against dog hunting. They're against your dog interfering with my hunt on my own property. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Yeah. I dog hunt three or four times a year. I still go with a big group over in Greene County. Got 6,500 acres. Do it right. Dogs have got collars on. They're broke. Not a problem. Mm -hmm. If you turn them loose on 600 acres. Problem. Could be a problem. Yeah. But there are whistle broke dogs. There's tone broke dogs. You've got all these GPS systems. There's no sense in us continuing to have conflicts. Mm-hmm. And now we've got landowners calling us saying, what are you going to do to help me? Mm -hmm. I'm tired of hearing, well, my dog can't read landlines. Yeah. Well, until he does, put him up mm -hmm. because I don't want him on my property. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's a, like I said, that's a rabbit hole. It is, and it's, it's one of those things that you're never going to make everybody happy, but We've had some incidents where landowners felt like they had no other alternative but shoot dogs. Yeah. They had had it. Enough was enough. That's not good for anybody. And we don't want one of those situations to ex escalate even further. Yeah. So in our opinion, this is a way to, without just stopping, no, you can't dog hunt anymore. Because there's a lot of good dog clubs that have no problems. Yeah. And really and truly, why should you be against this unless you're doing something wrong? Mm -hmm. Because even if you make that one mistake, everybody's hunting on Saturday and old June gets away and she gets across the line and gets caught. Well, you're going to get a warning. Don't let her come back over here again. Yeah. That's good enough. So you get a freebie. Like you get a freebie. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got landowners looking at us saying, why are you giving them a freebie? Yeah. Got it. 
it, it must be a difficult position to play both sides like that. So trying to make everybody happy. Yep, and it's it's not perfect. Nothing is, mm-hmm. but I really and truly think this is the way to promote positive dog hunters and to punish the ones that are troublemakers. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know. I, I'm I don't have an opinion on it because I don't know enough about it to have an opinion. I know guys who have strong opinions on it, and again, if uh, if people want to go look at that and just make their own opinion on it and weigh in on it, they can do that, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, none of this is under the table. This is all everything we do is transparent. Yeah. So it, it's there. They can go to Outdoor Alabama website, look up the minutes from the Conservation Advisory Board meeting, and this. It's all right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, kind of jumping out of that. Um, speaking of dogs, actually, are quail starting to make a comeback in Alabama? Quail are very resilient. Mm-hmm. And if you do a little management for them, yeah, they're coming back in areas where there is active management. It, I don't think it will ever be back to the days of the 40s and 50s when that's what people did was quail hunt. Yeah. But on some of our WMAs, we've got quail focal areas that we're managing specifically for quail, seeing good response. A lot of these w, uh, new SOAs mm-hmm. have got a lot of quail on them that the more management we do, the more we're going to have. So we're looking at in the next year or so having some special opportunity quail hunts. We're looking to oh, have wow. some special opportunity dove hunts. Yeah. So it's, it's building. The more we can get in there and the more we can do, the more opportunities we can offer the public. Yeah, I I never, ever, ever saw quail growing up. And here in the last two years, I don't go out in the summer scouting without hearing quail whistling. Yep. Which is pretty cool. It is. Pretty cool. It is. Again, I don't think it'll ever be back to the heyday. But with a little management, they do respond. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I've probably taken enough of your time. We're sitting at an hour here. So uh, is there anything you'd like to leave with our listeners? Not really. I think this is going to stimulate enough. Um, <laughs> th- seriously, though, the one thing that I would like for people to know, we don't mind constructive criticism, but my staff, all of us are public servants, but we're not punching bags. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a problem, let us know but do it respectfully, professionally, you'll go a whole lot further that way yeah. than if you call up here and just start griping. Yeah. We, we will only take it so long. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's all I can say. We don't mind criticism. Let us know, but just do it. Have some common sense. Just do it professionally, and we'll all get along a lot better. Absolutely. Well, Chuck, I cannot thank you enough for uh, sitting down and doing this with me again. And I hope everyone has a great week and a good deer season. Yep. Everybody needs to go apply for the SOAs. It's coming up soon. Yeah, apply and go buy yourself a license. That's it.
All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.